Uh, well, my name is Eric. I am one of the pastors here, and it has been a super awesome week at City Light. Uh, I want to point a couple things out. If you look up, uh, you'll notice there's a lot less to notice in the ceiling up there. Um, Things are being removed. There were some big, uh, like a big bunch of red cables that went right down the middle. Those are all gone. Uh, Arnie Christensen has done a great job of organizing and actually removing a lot of that stuff. Yeah. He's put in a lot of work, and uh, it's looking great. Pretty soon, we're going to have different lights. We're going to have some paint sprayed up there. Um, so we got more work yet to go. If you'll look down, uh, you'll notice our new chairs are in. What do you think about those? Yeah. I mean, nobody had to carry a chair in here this morning, so progress is being made. Greg Bachman and Ryan Mix helped us unload and unpack and get these set up. Um, so I just want to take a moment, celebrate progress is happening, and thank everybody for what you've done to get us this far and get kind of excited about what is yet to come. So um, stay tuned. Um, our public launch, just for a little timeline, I guess I didn't plan to do this, we're going to preach the through Philippians all the way until the end of July. And then August 7th, we're going to have a big baptism service with all of the City Light churches. And then August 14th is our big public launch. Bring everybody. This place won't look like half broken down building, half old school, and third half kind of church. Are there three halves? I got to stick to my script. This is what Sean was praying about. Uh, so, I'm excited. That's our schedule. That's where we're going. Um, this morning, I want to start with a question. Uh, have you ever been the last one to know something? You know those moments when you feel completely out of the loop and you're like, what are they talking about? When did that happen? How did I miss it? Uh, you've ever, you ever, ever been there? I spent some time with my in-laws over Memorial Day. Uh, which is always a joy. They're great people. Um, But while I was there, I found out that one of my wife Sarah's cousins is pregnant. And I got super excited. I was ready to make a big deal about it, get fired up and celebrate. I had like this overwhelming, like, yes, there's going to be another baby. And I noticed nobody else is really excited about this. What is going on? You people just don't love very well. And I found out, no, she's been pregnant for five months. (laughs) I don't know how I missed this. They may have told me and I just forgot, or they may not have told me and I was really out of the loop. Either way, I had no idea that it had happened, and I was completely caught off guard. Uh, That is not a good feeling. You've been there. You're the last one. Am I really hot right now? I feel like I'm echoing. I mean, not hot physically, the mic. I knew where Doug was going to go. All right. Uh, Where was I? Nobody likes to be the last one to know something, right? You hate that feeling. We want to know right now. We want to be in the know. We want real-time information. It's part of our culture and it's part of who we are. Um, Well, we're going to dive into Philippians. Doug started us off last week. Uh, This is a book uh, that's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul penned to one of the very first churches that he ever planted um, in Philippi, which is a city in Greece. 
Um, the letter's full of joy and instruction and encouragement. And before we dive into the text uh, that Sean read for us earlier, I want to make an observation. And this is going to seem really, really obvious. Uh, in 60 AD, roughly, when this book was written, the 24-hour news cycle was not yet a thing. Right? So you guys may have heard there was a gorilla that got shot at a zoo in Cincinnati, 700 miles away. Right? We knew about that within an hour of it happening. Some of you may have heard that Muhammad Ali just passed away in Phoenix right, on Friday night. We can learn news even from a thousand miles away within an hour. That's the world we live in. In Paul's day, things were very different. Very different. The news cycle was longer and things took time. Paul was in, under house arrest, um, kind of a prison of sorts, in Rome, Italy. And the Philippians lived in the city of Philippi in Greece that was somewhere between 1,000 and 1,300 miles away, depending on the route that you took. That journey would take one to three months depending on the route and the travel conditions. This is a long time. Not a 24-hour news cycle. News of what was going on with Paul, uh, by the time the Philippians heard about it, it would have taken place up to a quarter of a year before they got news. So you can imagine the situation. We're the kind of people that want real-time information. We want to be in the know and know right now. There was no way for the Philippians to do that. It took a long time for them to get word. Um, So Paul's letter was penned in part to give them an update, to let them know what was happening. Paul was a prisoner of the state. His trial, uh, he was accused basically of being a cult leader that was raising people up against the emperor. Uh, His trial uh, was over. Closing arguments had been made, uh, but they were awaiting a verdict. The Philippians loved Paul. They wanted to know, what's going on with the trial? Are you going to be set free or not? What's the verdict? Has it been uh, announced yet or not? They wanted to know. We kind of know what that feeling is like, right? You know what it's like to long for somebody's well-being, to wonder if they're okay. It's graduation season. And so a lot of our seniors have graduated. We're getting ready to send them out to college or the military or to get a job. And when they leave our homes, you wonder, are they going to be okay? Are they making it? You long to know that they're doing well and you want to be a part of their lives even though they're gone. Right, uh, A guy from our congregation, from our family, his name's Ryan Sibley. He just left um, for a deployment uh, with the Air Force in, in uh, Alaska. He's going to be gone. We already, he is gone. We already miss him. We wonder, is he okay? Is he doing well? Does he have what he needs? We had, we, uh, had a prayer meeting last Wednesday night. If you showed up, we got to hear um, from Ryan and Kara Higgins about some people who are getting ready to go on a trip to Rwanda this summer to love some orphans. And Ken and Rochelle Johnson shared about how they're getting ready to go to Japan for two years to do ministry among the Japanese people. 
And for all of those people who are getting ready to go away from us, to go out and do missions work, we kind of long for their well-being. We wonder, are they going to be okay? Those are different cultures and different people. How are they doing? We want to be a part of it. Um, One last example, you know, a couple times a week, Doug tells me, I'm going to go work on my house. And I think there are hand tools and even some power tools there. Is he going to be okay? Will he ever make it back, right? We get concerned about people's well-being. And uh, so far, Doug's made it back. (laughs) Happy about that. These kinds of feelings are similar to what the Philippians had. This was the guy who planted the church, their first pastor. They loved Paul. He had gone to prison for them that they would know Jesus. And they partnered in him with ministry in all kinds of ways. And when they sent him out, a piece of their hearts went with him. And they longed to know how he was doing. What is the verdict going to be? And even now, in today's world, in that awkward time between when a case closes and the verdict is yet to be announced, it's tense. It can mean freedom or captivity. It can mean uh, guilt or acquittal. It can mean life or death. And it was no different a situation for Paul. And so the Philippians are wondering, what's going on? How is our beloved Paul doing? Our hearts are with him, but we just don't know. I hope he's okay. And Paul loved them, and so he wanted to put their minds at ease. He wanted to let them know what was going on, and so he wrote a letter. But interestingly, Paul didn't start with an update on his current state. The state of affairs for his case, how he was doing, what was going on with him. Paul didn't start with any of that. Rather, he started with an update on the gospel. How is the gospel doing? Paul's in prison, but is the gospel okay? What is the well-being of the gospel? Is it going forward? Is it being attacked? Paul cared about that. It was the main thing for him. And so he didn't start the letter addressing the, the presenting concern of the Philippians. He started his letter with the presenting concern of his heart. And that was the gospel. And so he started this part. After Doug read the introduction last year, preached on the joy that Paul had in the church of Philippians. We love you guys. I love that you love me. I get so much joy from this. The affections of Jesus overflow from me to you. And it's all mushy in middle school. And after that, he dives into the text we have today. And he starts this way. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He makes light of everything that's happened to him. I've been thrown in jail. I'm in isolation. I don't have a lot of food or visitors. It's not going well. says nothing about that. What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. For Paul, the gospel was the main thing. He endured stonings and beatings, poverty and hunger. The list goes on and on that the gospel might be proclaimed to the world. What happened to Paul was secondary. What happened to the gospel was primary. Nothing else rivaled it. This is countercultural. This is almost a counterhuman idea. To set something that far above yourself. Right? 
What could be worth so much that we give up our time and our money and our reputation that it would advance? What could be worth so much that we live and die for it? I think everybody... Uh, I, I said this was almost counterhuman. Let me tell you what I mean. I think everybody longs to be part of something greater than themselves. To tap into something bigger than who they are. And we see this play out in our lives, right? Everybody longs for this. This is why we join teams and Facebook groups, right? Because we say, we're all the same idea. We're going the same direction. So let's band together and make it bigger than it would be if it was just me. Um, We watch movies about superheroes and overcomers. We listen to music that taps in to our soul's longings to be part of something bigger. This is why I work out about quarterly, okay? And when I do my quarterly workout, I have a playlist, and on that playlist is Bonnie Tyler's song, I Need a Hero, right? So while I'm running, I love when this one pops up, because I love when she sings, he's got to be strong, he's got to be fast, he's got to be fresh from the fight. And when you see me running, and that's in my earbuds, my pace picks up a little bit, right? I flex a little stronger, because he's got to be strong, he's got to be fast, and my my arm swings look a little more like punches, because he's got to be fresh from the fight. And I'm imagining that Sarah is singing this, and she needs a hero, and I'm going to be that guy. Right? There's something bigger to this than just me running. And so Bonnie Tyler taps into this desire for me. She needs a hero. And I'm going to be that. And for five and a half minutes, my pace is picked up. My muscles are flexed. And after that five and a half minutes, reality hits. And... I'm an out of shape dude with a dad bod, you know, that breaks a sweat on a slow jog. You know, this is reality for me. But I want to be something bigger. It's kind of silly, but I think we all feel that in some way at some time, right? We want to be part of something greater. And Bonnie Tyler can get me kind of there for five and a half minutes. But Paul was sustained by that same desire for years. Through all kinds of suffering and trials, what did he have that sustained him through that? What was it that Paul found that tapped into that desire for him? I would submit to you the reason that Paul could endure what he did for the sake, was for the sake of the gospel. He had found the gospel and it became the only thing that mattered to him. What happened to him was so secondary to what happened to the gospel. And so I want to pause here and say, if that's true, if Paul starts with an update on the state of the gospel, and it sustained him through all kinds of trials, suffering, struggles, we should pause here and say, what is the gospel? What is it? If I were to ask you right now, to turn to the person next to you and tell them what the gospel is, think for a moment, how would you explain it? Do you know? What's the gospel? What is this thing that sustained Paul? I think he he wrote about it a lot in the Bible. And so I'm going to breeze through some verses here where Paul just talks about what the gospel is. 
Um, to, I, and I think we're going to track together here. Um, to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, Luke wrote, Then the jailer brought out uh, Paul and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. To the church at Rome, he wrote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And again to the Romans, he wrote, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To the church of the Ephesians, he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And one more. To the Corinthians, he wrote, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Familiar verses? Do you sense the themes that are running through this? If we were going to simply summarize the gospel, I might do it like this. God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Look, Paul knew that the human condition was marred by sin. There's something wrong with us. People by our very nature are rebels set in opposition to God, but not all was lost. We still long to be part of something greater than ourselves. We just don't know what that thing is anymore. And so when we say that we long to be part of something greater than ourselves, we were created that way, and we were created to live for something greater than ourselves, namely God. We were created to honor Him and love Him and cherish Him and be captivated by Him as our good and gracious King. But instead we live for lesser things that cannot keep the promises that they make. Paul was a great man, but he served a great God. And Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. The Gospel is the first and most primary thing in his heart and in his life. And in his letter, things are no different. He starts with the gospel. So the Philippians are worried about Paul's well-being. He says, I'll get there, and we'll get there. But we're going to start with the gospel. And he says, it is doing well. The gospel is advancing. The bonds and the chains that held Paul couldn't hold the message that he was preaching. And so this is what he wrote. He starts off, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says the gospel is advancing in two directions. First, the gospel is being clarified for outsiders. Do you see it? It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. What is it? That his imprisonment is for Christ, the gospel. 
He's living for the gospel. The guard knows it and all the rest. First, the gospel is advancing among outsiders, people not within the walls of the church. Second, brothers in the faith are gaining confidence in the Lord. They're getting boldness. Do you see that? Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, they're gaining confidence. This is good news. I mean, basically what Paul is saying is the gospel is advancing everywhere. People outside the church are hearing. People inside the church are believing. This is a good day. I may be in prison. A verdict may be awaiting me. It may mean death. All that's true, but you know what? Before we get there, let me tell you, the gospel has not been bound. The, The bonds of Paul, God had used to actually advance the cause for which Paul was bound. The bonds that shackled Paul were put there by the Roman Empire because they said, we don't know if what you're doing is even legal. And so we're going to make a determination on that. And while we think it through, you need to stay put and be quiet. And your message needs to stay put and be quiet with you. But that just wasn't happening. And Paul tells the Philippians about it. All right, So he starts with the imperial guard. He starts with the outsiders. He says, The whole guard and all the rest of the people know that Paul's imprisonment was for Christ. Um, Paul's under house arrest. Uh, imprisoned. This is... Uh, I mean, he basically, he rents an apartment in Rome. Uh, He's not in a prison, but he cannot leave. And so this is what um, the book of Acts says about Paul's time under house arrest confinement in Rome. Um, Acts chapter 28, starting verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We don't know exactly how this all went down when Paul was under house arrest, but we can imagine it maybe. So if you'll uh, indulge me, picture yourself as a Roman imperial guard. There is a cult leader, a guy who's been accused of being a cult leader raising up people against the emperor, and you are assigned the shift at his place. You have to go spend your whole shift alone in an apartment with a dude who's raising people up against the emperor. This is not a good situation if you're a soldier. I'm by my, it'd be like if you, right now if you had to sit in Charles Manson's cell. You know, like nobody wants that job. He's weird. We have preconceived notions about what he's done. I mean, okay, Paul and Charles Manson, different guys. So surface level analogy, okay, we're not going any deeper than it's just weird what they're accused of being, okay? You're a soldier. You don't want that assignment. It's lonely. It's awkward. He's weird. But you got to do it. And so you go to Paul's apartment, and you're, you're already skeptical, and you stand there with him, and you're just upset. What is taking so long with the verdict on this? If they would just make a decision, I wouldn't have to be here. This guy would be on the street or dead. Either way, I'm not here. Just make a decision. And so you're upset you got to be there. You spend hours of your life in a little room with this guy. And we start out 
you kind of ticked off, and so you're just silent. Not even going to talk to them. And when I have to, it's going to be short and rude. I just don't care to be here. Acts says he was there for two years. So you get to go there a lot. Over time, you start to listen to what he's saying. You start hearing. Paul's dictating letters to groups of friends that he loves all over the empire. And the letters are full of love and encouragement. You start hearing him talk to the people that come visit him. And though he is maybe facing death, he cares more about the hardships that his visitors are facing and their well-being than his own. You start hearing him talk about this guy, Jesus. And Jesus, when Paul talks about him, isn't nearly as weird or awful as people have made him out to be. And so you start wondering, this guy doesn't seem so bad. Is what he's saying true? And as guards go shift by shift through Paul's apartment, his case becomes the talk of the precinct and the talk of the dinner table. And over time, the gospel becomes conversation throughout the city as the guard and the people who visit him and their families and their friends start talking about the hottest case of the day. Unbelievers are explaining the gospel to each other because Paul's in prison. There's no way Paul gets to go to the headquarters of the Roman Imperial Guard and preach the gospel to them if this doesn't happen. And even if he did, chances are slim after there's an assembly and Paul's the speaker that they go back and have follow-up conversations with their friends and their neighbors, right? That just doesn't happen. Paul could not have gone door-to-door, neighborhood-to-neighborhood across the great city of Rome and spread the word as effectively and efficiently as it happened in this way. Listen, the main thing for Paul was becoming the main topic of conversation in the main city of the greatest empire on earth. When Paul sends a letter to update the Philippians, he doesn't say, this is what's happening to me. He says, guys, the gospel is advancing. I may be in prison, but the gospel's not. It's going everywhere. The imperial guards and all the rest know. Paul was celebrating. The gospel's advancing, and it's not just to outsiders. He says all the brothers too, right? Go back to the Word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The brothers he's talking about are the Christians that are already in Rome. The people that are watching him, wondering, could we also die if Paul's case goes south? Are we going to get thrown in prison? There was reason for people to be scared, for Christians to be scared about actually believing what they believed. But Paul says that's not happening either. As the gospel spread among outsiders, people inside the church were getting more bold. See, they had known what Paul endured before he got to Rome. 
They had heard about His beatings and shipwrecks and stonings and all that stuff. Imprisonments. They knew what He endured. But they had heard stories of God moving in the Old Testament. Of the seas being divided. Of God leading people out of slavery. Of feeding the hungry and on and on. They'd heard stories of Jesus who calmed the winds and the waves and fed the multitudes and on and on. They'd heard story after story. They'd heard what Paul went through and yet he persevered. But now all of a sudden, they saw. They saw that same God who had led the Israelites out of captivity years and years ago. They saw the same God who sent His Son Jesus to die so that slaves to sin could be led for freedom. They saw that happening in their country, in their city, in their government, in their neighborhood. And they saw God setting people free. And as they saw God moving their own chains of fear began to fall away. They got bold and fearless about the Gospel. And you can imagine the situation. As outsiders are talking about the Gospel, explaining it to one another, now all of a sudden the believers are stepping into those conversations saying, yeah, I already believe that. Let me tell you more. They get more bold. And as the outsiders, the Gospel advances among them, the Gospel actually is spurred on to advancement among believers. And as the believers get more bold, they step into the world even further and it spurs gospel advancement among the non-believers. This is a virtuous cycle. And Paul is telling the Philippians, the gospel is advancing. This is reason for joy. He gives one caveat, and uh, I feel like I should at least mention it since it's in the Bible. Um, He says, the brothers that are spurred on to preach... Not all of them did it out of good motives. He said some of them preached out of envy and rivalry. So the church existed in Rome before Paul got there. There were already leaders in place. And apparently some of those people, when Paul came, were a little upset that he seemed to be taking over. We don't know their motives. But for some reason, they were envious of him. They saw him as a rival. And so when they preached the gospel, it it wasn't exclusively so that people would be saved and that God would be glorified. It was in part so that they could establish themselves as greater than Paul, as his rival. It was in part so that Paul wouldn't get all the glory and they wouldn't have to deal with the envy in their hearts anymore. Paul goes so far to say that some of them want to make it harder for me. Um, He says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. These guys are saying, listen, if preaching the gospel makes it harder for Paul to win his case, so be it. Let him deal with it. That wasn't everybody. There were others who preached out of goodwill, who saw Paul as a partner in the gospel, a partner defending the faith, and he came and that was a good thing, and so they preached the same message as Paul out of love. If everybody knows this, if everybody hears the good news, there's no way they're going to hate Paul. There's no way he gets condemned. There's no way that Jesus doesn't get honored in our city. Some do it out of rivalry and envy. Some do it out of goodwill. Paul's response to this whole situation is incredible. Remember, Paul's under house arrest, waiting to find out 
if you'll ever set, be set free, if you'll even get to live after the verdict is announced. Some people who are supposed to be on his team are even preaching so that things are harder for him. But his response is incredible. He says in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Paul says, I don't care. I'm secondary. Whatever. However it happens, wherever it happens, it doesn't matter. I'm wearing the gospel jersey. Take my name off the back. Put Jesus on front and the sleeves. Everywhere he can be advertised, that's the team I play for. And anybody that's advancing the cause of that team, of that message, I'm on board with that. I don't care what they do to me. I care what they do for the gospel. So long as the gospel advances, let me die. He, he still lives. I will rejoice. See, like... This is the counter-human thing that Paul found how to do. He said, I will live and die for the gospel. It matters not where I go. It matters not what I do. The gospel is primary. Oh, City Light, that we would be a church that cherishes the gospel like that. That we would be a church that knows the gospel so deeply that in struggles and trials, we don't turn to Bonnie Tyler who can get us five minutes further. We turn to Jesus who will sustain us for years into eternity because He's big enough and He's faithful enough and He's great enough. Oh, that we would love the gospel like Paul did. I want to end with a question. Um, What is the state of the gospel in our city? This is why Paul wrote this letter, right? He wanted to give us a a a news update. And he starts with the state of the gospel. And so I I would end with, what's the state of the gospel in our city? How's it doing? Um, I think first you have to recognize that our city has a history of believing false gospels. Um, from the Native Americans who met on the bluffs for spiritual rituals to the Mormons who claimed this land as they made their way west, this has been a city with hard soil where the gospel has struggled to take root. And so that's where we are. But just like Paul went into Rome and he saw the gospel advance despite hardship, I would say we have reason to celebrate. I think... Churches in our city are working together now more than they ever have. When we came into the city, Doug and I, and said we wanted to start a church, um, we set up meetings with pastors across the city. And you know what? Almost all of them, to the last one, welcomed us to the family. We got, we got invitations that... There is a lot of darkness in this city. If you're going to bring light, we need it. There was almost no territorialism or opposition. Instead, it was partnership. And just like most of the brothers who preached more boldly because Paul came, I think the pastors, the churches, the Christians in our city are now saying, hey, We need as many people here proclaiming the gospel. We need as many partners, as much light 
as big of a team as we can get. And so they're happy to have us here to partner together. We can be more bold because we know that there are other people in the city who are being bold with us. I believe that the gospel is advancing in Council Bluffs and it's doing it here in City Light Church and it's doing it in other churches and other neighborhoods and other places across our city. Praise God that His gospel is advancing everywhere. Um, so for Paul... He kept the main thing the main thing. The gospel was number one. Um, I would ask, is that where you're at? What is the number one thing in your heart? What do you pursue more than anything else? Is there something in your life worth living and dying for? Is that the gospel? 